Blog Talk Radio. humanity, human beings, human love, on a spiritual tip, so vast, so great, the African embrace, live beyond love beyond your skin to where you belong Keep down for the non-detail. It's all about 
uh, with all the problems facing society um, throughout the world, it's very interesting as opposed to creating solutions to the problems that society in the, in the, in the planet face. Capitalism tends to um, uh, enhance those same problems that humanity in the planet is facing. So those anti-life feature of capitalism is well established. So I briefly, you know, I thought I'd write a little bit in terms of, you know, uh, some of my views in terms of, you know, this, this propensity among capitalism. But in any event, check this out. Now, capitalism anti-life persona is indis- indisputable. Mick Wallace, an Irish politician, articulated it well when he critiqued America when he stated, quote, $2 billion, $2 billion to run for president, 25% of the world's prisoners, $800 billion spent yearly for weapons, no universal health care for its citizens, and 17 million children at a minimum officially go to bed hungry in America, end quote. Clearly, the values placed on material possession, particularly for the wealthy at the expense of humanity, is palpable. This, the same values often manifest themselves among working people, make, <laughs> making their value system indistinguishable from the capital class that ruthlessly exploit them for material gain. In Brooklyn, New York, Pastor Lamore Whitehead and his wife were robbed of $400,000 worth of jewelry in church. That amount later to be amended to $1 million in value. Increasing the estimated value of the jewelry speaks to the implicit perceived co- correlation between materialism and the value of human life under capitalism. Obviously, the implication being the more materialism one possesses, the more one's life has value. If I were to extrapolate, working in a poor people's lives have no intrinsic value, so what happens to the poor is inconsequential. So how did society evolve to rationalize the abhorrent treatment of other humans based upon material possessions? Some would argue the inherent greed or selfishness of humans is a catalyst behind disparate treatment of humans. Certainly, pursuit of individual self-interest is one factor. However, it does not take into consideration humans who act selflessly, who embrace the common destiny of all human beings. It is a deviation from common destiny that has shaped narrative justifying inflicting harm on humans by humans. In this regard, classism is instructive, but classism on a much broader platform. Rules-based order immediately comes to mind. This concept seeks to legitimize classic Western values like free markets, individualism, and private property rights as the ultimate freedoms. These Western values, as elucidated by Adam Smith's book, Wealth of Nations, would establish parameters highlighting the appropriate relationship between rich and poor. By favoring contracts, Smith felt exploitation of workers is justified since accepting the something in a job is contractual. His reason, quote, every man, presumably wealthy man, is left perfectly free to pursue his own interests, his own way, and to bring both his industry and capital into competition with those of any other man, end quote. In other words, Smith espoused a kind of liberalism which rejects any legal interference or oppressive restraints on the wealthiest personal actions, personal thoughts, or beliefs. Exploitation in this context would cease to have, and pursuit of material gain would take precedent over the treatment of working and poor people or human life generally. This kind of expediency or political denial of human rights were challenged by individuals like John Locke who asserted government's role is to carry out the will of the people, majority, <clears throat> the majority against vested interests. Unfortunately, the power of the electorate in the U.S. never really materialized for a myriad of reasons. One, the U.S. Constitution favored the minority, minority being wealthy white property owners. Secondly, 
Africans were considered three-fifths of a person, not considered part of the electorate. And thirdly, genocide against indigenous people who were removed from their land and placed into reservations. Constitution shortfalls aside, the hostility toward democracy was widely shared among political leaders in the 1800s. James Madison's opposition was well established. Quote, instability, injustice, and confusion, he reasoned, have in truth been the mortal disease under which popular governments everywhere perished, end quote. Ironically, previous governments prior to the 19th century did not perish because they were democracies. They perished because they were not or ceased to be democratic. Natural disasters may, natural disasters may have played a role in the country's decline, but the discontent shall a large part of the population increase the odds of that country being conquered. Now, egalitarianism, or the greatest good for the greatest number, is a staple of democracy. U.S. being a republic, not a democracy, does not share this philosophy. For a republic, certain values must be inculcated into the population to legitimize inequality and suffering. Inegalitarianism, or the indifference to human life, practiced by capitalism or republics, often manifests in atrocities that's in front or should be to the consciousness of human beings. Recently in Mississippi, former Governor Phil Bryan, along with Mental Health Commissioner John Davis, stole $94 million from welfare funds earmarked for the most impoverished citizens. Not to be outdone, conservative southern states attempt to use the Supreme Court rulings to block Biden's climate impacts tools to access social costs affiliated with climate change. Next, they plan to further weaken the Environmental Protection Agency to prevent regulation of climate change. Potential for needless death is axiomatic as famine increases and drought spreads. With climate change comes increased greenhouse gas emissions. Last year, greenhouse gas emissions increased 6.2% according to the Rhodium Group. Greenhouse gas emissions consisting of methane, nitrous oxide, and CO2, when they increase impacts food yields, availability, and quality of food. Food yields not only prevents hunger, but it contributes to the state of the economy. As temperature climb, climbs, yields decline <laughs> facilitating both hunger, 328 million globally, 117 million children in the U.S., and budgetary declines to GDP in excess of 11%. What is the response to declining agriculture yields? Gene genetically modified organisms, crops. Genetically modified organisms are lab-based seeds designed to resist pest infestation and environmental concerns. The problem with GMOs are numerous. One, they're toxic. In other words, the, the, the molecular structure is unstable, so the impact on the human body is unknown at this point. Even though they know it's catastrophic, it could be catastrophic. It, creates, it, it leads to allergies. It increases resistance to antibiotics. Fourthly, it compromises the immune system, and it contributes to the growth of cancer in the human body. Scientists estimate 75% of processed foods contain GMO ingredients, and this should be concerned because GMOs, according to food scientists, lacks nutritional value. Consumers of processed foods tend to be working-class people who find their cheaper prices appealing, and rightfully so. Perhaps if government provide more information on GMOs, many working, working or poor people will be dissuaded from feeding processed food to their children. Also, unfortunately, Big business is opposed to disclosing such information on food labels and has spent millions on politicians to defeat such legislation. The strategy of food proved effective, and only states can mandate labeling of food with GMO content, not a federal mandate. Are politicians aware of the dangers of GMO foods? Well, according to Pat Roberts, a former Republican congressperson out of Kansas, he, he says, quote, 
Labor requirements have nothing to do with health, safety, and nutrition, end quotes, even though the Food and Drug Administration says it does. Ironically, labeling GMO foods entails nutritional facts that makes the de- de- deduction of its health safety components possible. Now, the reality is that the, the incidence of human life is not only relegated within the borders of the U.S., but globally. Currently, covert program 127E, according to NSF, over a three-year period spent $310 million conducting proxy wars in the Middle East and the Asia-Pacific realm, propping up insurgencies and eliminating established leadership <coughs> will result in more deaths, but U.S. objectives from preventing political change will fail. Just as propping up Nazis in the West may succeed unilaterally, but politically, <coughs> but political control established by killing the poor throughout the world will be unsuccessful, despite the level of human carnage that will ensue from U.S. policies in its capitalist mandate. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll go to Anthony. We'd like to welcome him to Africa on the move. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Following Brother Anthony, we now will bring in Brother Moses, and we'd like to welcome him to Africa on the move. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I called Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is this messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I, I believe women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-A-S. And the struggle continues to be to unite the many to defeat the few. And we have our work cut out for us to educate and to politicize the working class. Um, who are the future. And I I want to thank you for allowing me to be on the show, Brother Africa. Thank you. And from Brother Moses, we go to Sister Eleanor. Welcome to Africa on the Move, Sister Eleanor. Good evening, Brother Africa and fellow panelists and to our listening audience here in the United States and abroad. My name is Eleanor Johnson. I am an environmentalist a human rights advocate, and an artist. Thank you so much for having me on the show this evening, Brother Africa. Always an honor to have you, Sister Eleanor, and to our listening audience. Uh, today is the 21st of August, 2022. Our agenda today will entail what's going on in your world community coming up and will be followed by our theme tonight, You Just Want to Rule the World, which... There are some selected articles of interest we will discuss as to deal with the ideals of one, uh, 
how the U.S. and U.K. take what they want. U.S. tell Africa where to buy and who to trade with. And this whole question about the fight for water, waterways and fresh water, those will be the areas of things and topics that we discuss on our thing tonight. You guys want to rule the world. Like always, we encourage you to join us. But before we go to our next segment, what's going on in our world, what's going on in your world, and community today, we will take a brief break, rupture your culture break, and we'll come back. We invite you to join us at 323-679-0841 to share with us what's going on in your world and your community. This is Africa on the move.
musical You're in a Milan Dig out me go In a Milan Digging out me pearl In a Milan Dig out me diamond We are the fight
smoke kush, ambush, then we peel off. Nigga still rolling with the wheels off. Always looking out for the crisscross. I'm a bigger boss than Rick Ross. Always winning, nigga get lost. It's the warlord, bring the voodoo. When I bail through, it's crazy like Bellevue. What they tell you, that leave that boy alone, like home alone. Yeah. Fuck a skull and bone, arrest the president, you got the evidence. That nigga is Russian intelligence. When it rains, it pours, did you know the new pipe was orange? Boy, you're showing your horns, they trying to replace my halo with thorns. You so basic with your bait sticks, let's go ape shit in the matrix. Arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence. Arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence. I took back my eyes, and all black tonight, that's right, some niggas gotta sacrifice. Not a criminal, no, I'm a seminal, yeah. I was free once, now I'm clinical. You so technical, this was Mexico, now everywhere I go is owned by Texico. Fuck them, fuck them and the rest of you. I turn a phone to a back hopper. I'ma roll with the aliens. Man, fuck these homo sapiens. They don't really wanna make friends. All they want is a Mercedes Benz. All they want is they dividends and decibels. Fuck these citizens. They'll treat us like hooligans. Throw him in, they don't care what school he in. These people don't play fair. It ain't even fair at the state fair. Give a young nigga gray hair, that's why I'm here. Make your ass lay there. You better stay there. Close your fucking eyes like it's daycare. Make myself clearer than Shakespeare. I'm here to take money, even fake hair. So desperate is what I'm left with. For the record, you affected. Who you elected is so septic, so full of shit. I can't accept it. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. I reside on the west side. I murder with my third eye. Nigga so fly, get a bird's eye. I make him scream bloody murder. Let's meet at the White House. Run in and turn the lights out. Man, they treat it like a trap house. These motherfuckers never take the trash out. They just cash out and mash out. Nigga, take your drugs and pass out. Niggas love to go that fast route. I see you when your black ass get out. Homie, you play too much. Why these devils, they doing way too much. Most of them won't say too much. Why they steady planning? God knows what. That's why I roll with the real ones. Real ones, trying to reach millions. Real ones, trying to make billions. Real ones, dressed like civilians. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president, you have the evidence. We say arrest all these damn criminals. They have created created crime against humanity, which is known as exploitation. They all need to be arrested. We welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. This is the Brother Africa, the voice of Africa on the Moon. We now will proceed with our first segment of the program. What's going on in your world and the community? 
We are bringing Brother Haki. What's going on in your world and the community, Brother Haki? <laughs> well, Brother Africa, <clears throat> there was an a interesting uh, case in Pennsylvania. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people know about it, but I thought I'd just talk briefly about that particular case and its implications, you know, for, for African children. Uh, one of the things I think is important that we, we acknowledge, or certainly begin to acknowledge, is that, you know, um, in terms of, you know, being all you can be, one of the things that's so important, as Maslow's hierarchy indicates, is that there has to be a certain amount of, um, um, uh, a certain amount of uh, self-acclimation, a certain amount of, um, a, a certain amount of uh, sense of, you know, being capable of achieving. Uh, one of the things the system does a very good job is 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 creating a situation where the ability to self-actualize in the minds of you know uh, African children and poor children is to to form this 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 doubt in the minds of children in terms of their capabilities. And so, therefore, in that context, when we when we expect kids to do well academically, or we expect kids to perform in a way that's socially, let's say, responsible then we understand that given the social condition that negatively impacts our children, the ability in terms of achieving academically or socially responsible becomes problematic for children. In fact, the system understands that. It's incumbent upon us to understand that. This is why historically in the African community, uh, we always had a saying, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. But the more, to the extent that we internalize or embrace this notion that it takes a family to raise a child, we fail to understand that it takes us working collectively to save our children collectively. So, in any event, this particular case is sort of, sort of, is indicative of, you know, of that kind of uh, disregard for the lives of African children. And so, let me just, let me just briefly talk about that. Now, this case, now between 2003 and 2008, two Pennsylvania judges, Mark Civarelli and Michael Conahan, orchestrated a scheme to justify the closing of the county detention youth facility, and, ex- and accepted a 2.8 million dollar bribe. To, to send mostly poor African children to two new facilities whose owners provided the bribes. The way the scheme worked was rather sim- simplistic. Civarelli, who presided over juvenile court, would employ a zero-tolerance policy, in effect setting up a dragnet to ensnare the desired community, the African community, <coughs> as a target. His zero-tolerance policy would target children as young as eight years of age for detention. Now, infractions warranting detention included petty theft, jaywalking, truancy, smoking on school grounds, or other trivial alleged offenses. This wrong was compounded by policy that saw the children immediately shackled without contact of parents or consultation by a family advocate. In direct violation of the Department of Justice guidelines, the civil rights of the children were violated, and administrative safeguards were denied in direct opposition to law. By the time the scheme was exposed, over 2,300 children totaling 4,000 convictions, lives were negatively impacted. As it currently stands, many of these children, now they're grown, have suffered emotionally and psychologically, with many succumbing to suicide. Now, a bit of good news. In 2009, both judges were fined $200 million for the scheme. Recent reports state neither judge possess, ex-judge possesses the assets to pay the fines in total. Even if they did, pundits speculate the children who suffered would not receive would see very very little from this after the state recoups you know its cost. Now, fortunately, um, you know both both men were sentenced as well. 
Civarelli received 20 years after he appealed in 2013. Conahan received 17 years, but was released in 2020 because of COVID-19. He was sentenced in 2011, and because of COVID-19, he was released after doing six years in prison. So it's good at least that uh, these two individuals, you know, uh, paid the price in terms of their benevolence, in terms of the things that they did that, that were, 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 were not only uh, illegal, uh, but, but morally bankrupt. Uh, so clearly uh, it, that's good news. But like I said before, the problem is that these conditions that negatively impact the social and emotional being of African children and of poor children in society persist. And it seems to me it's coming upon the community to understand this reality because if we don't create the conditions to challenge or to rebuff, you know, those conditions that negatively impact our children's emotional and intellectual development, then we have nobody to blame but ourselves. So clearly, Brother Africa, this, this, this antagonism or this, this um, hostility toward African children isn't going anywhere. In fact, capitalism demands that this kind of, uh, this kind of uh, maltreatment, this kind of hostility toward African children uh, persists. Because after all, when I mean, you talk about a system essentially in decline, then clearly when you talk about the availability of jobs, the number of jobs are in decline. So the system wants to create a, a, a way in which uh, you minimize the amount of people who are competing for those jobs. And so one of the ways you minimize uh, the number of people competing for those jobs is to give them a, a criminal record or to incarcerate them. So clearly uh, we have a work cut out for us, and this, this, this case is, a, is an example in terms of why the situation is so perilous you know, for African uh, children, you know, in the society. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we're going to do Brother Anthony. What's going on in your world and the community? Okay. Um, there is a situation um, happening among uh, the immigrant uh, population uh, out of Haiti that is somewhat related to what uh, Brother uh, Haki relayed, and that is uh, the effort on the, on the forces of capitalism uh, to try to get rid of us by any means necessary. Uh, there was an article I read about how uh, ISIS deporting immigrants born in Haiti back to Haiti and uh, they are being imprisoned once they arrive in Haiti uh, without uh, due process, without being charged uh, and without uh, you know uh, any sort of uh, trial whatsoever. And uh, that is uh, happening to a lot of our Haitian brothers and sisters that are uh, that are facing forced deportation by ICE. Uh, they uh, uh, list, I think, according to the article, about 300 or so uh, individuals have been subject to this sort of treatment. And uh, so we need to, uh, you know, be aware and uh, try to fight against that. And uh, let's see, uh, uh, let's see, there was a a march and rally in Newark uh, yesterday, Newark, New Jersey, uh, uh, trying to stop 
the violence that's being uh, that's being perpetrated among Africans in Newark out of uh, you know frustration over the contradictions of capitalism, uh, such as high unemployment. Uh, you know, uh, lack of access to opportunity and education. However, uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, they were led by the the local democratic forces here uh, in New- in North New Jersey, and uh, they don't go to the root of the problem, which is all the manifestations of capitalism which uh a lot of people don't uh don't uh, don't think they have a recourse uh to deal with uh because of the lack of education and information and the disorganization uh that exists among that people so uh but uh that's pr- pretty much what's going on in my world to to this today Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, we'll go to Brother Moses. What's going on in your world and the community? Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Um, to, to present the capitalist method of uh, production and its historical connection and its and inevitable during a particular historical period, and therefore also to present its inevitable downfall. And number two, to lay bare its essential character, which was still a secret. This was done by the discovery of surplus value. It was shown that the appropriation of unpaid labor is the basis of the capitalist mode of production of the exploitation of the worker that occurs under it. That even if the capitalist buys the labor power of this labor at its full value as a commodity on the market, he yet extracts more value for it from it than he paid for. And that is the ultimate analysis. This surplus value forms those sums of value from which all heat up to constantly increasing masses of capital in the hands of the possessing classes. The genesis of capitalist production and the production of capital were both explained. These two great discoveries, the materialist conception of history and the revelation of the secret of capitalist production through surplus value, we owe to Marx. With these discoveries, socialism became a science. The next thing was to work out all its details and relationships. This is from Socialism, Utopian, and Scientific by Frederick Engels. I think, you know, it lays bare how just both Bezos and all the various capitalists are able to accrue such enormous sums of money by um, taking unpaid labor, basically. And uh, this is surplus value. Meanwhile, um, we're still, uh, was dumped. And um, in her election bid, uh, a backlash for her supporting the impeach the, um, the the prosecution of Donald Trump. We see that that um, people are are interested in democracy as a as a threat. Uh, the latest polls show that this this is one of the most dominant. Um, Issues in the country now, the threat of the Democrat threat to democracy. Um, those that's a little bit of what's going on in my world. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, and we now go to Sister Eleanor. Uh, 
What's going on in your world and the community, Sister Eleanor? Well, um, there are, as um, everyone probably knows, two um, Africans were shot in the back by D.C. police. Um, There hasn't been much news or publicity about it, but it has occurred uh, over the last several weeks this summer. And uh, we continue to see uh, the uh, impact of apartheid in Israel and uh, uh, the bombing uh, of residents in in the in the Palestinian territory. We also had the good news of uh, the election and the inauguration in Venezuela. And we continue to see the people struggling to move forward. We also see that the January, 22 months after the January 6th, insurgents that people are still being charged with misdemeanors and uh, receiving really minor uh, sentences and minor charges. Only uh, to date, only one has received uh, uh, four years in, in, in jail, and that's under appeal. So we see that there is a, a real struggle uh, for um, workers' rights, um, there is a real struggle for equity uh, amongst the people, and it is uh, not not something that we are experiencing right now. Uh, we see the impact of global warming and the. Uh, a uh, fact that we have disregarded Mother Earth and uh, uh, the commercialization of uh, things that are we all consider basic human rights, such as uh, uh, housing, water, education, uh, access to food, clean air. Uh, these are uh, basic human rights, but we see them now being uh, industrialized by the capitalists, such as uh, Brother Moses said, such as uh, the wealthy individuals, but also uh, the big banks and corporations. So uh, that's what's going on in in my world, watching these things. I stand in solidarity with the Palestinians and their fight against apartheid. I stand in solidarity with the women and their struggle for education and equal rights, not only in the United States, but abroad as well. And I would c- congratulate Sister Agnes, who was elected to parliament in Kenya, and uh, continues to fight against female uh, mutilation, genitalia mutilation, and uh, she she was elected uh, uh, recently in the last uh, couple of weeks to Parliament, and uh, I just would like to say congratulations 
to the people of Kenya for uh, making this Maasai woman uh, a, a political voice in their nation. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And we we'll now go to our caller. We have just joined us. See if caller, well, we had a caller if he thought was, was joining us. But at this point in time, what we will do is we'll take a, um, well, we do have a caller who have joined us. We're going to call us 9052, see what's going on now. We're on the community. We're bringing call of 9052. You ask for our digits and your phone number. Would you like to share with us what's going on in your world and the community? Call of 9052. Welcome to Africa on the Move. 9052. The mic is yours. Okay, I assume caller 9052 may not want to participate right now, but continue to listen in, and please hit one if you'd like to share your thoughts or any comments that we may have. What we're going to do right now before we make our transition to our theme tonight, you just want to rule the world. We'd like to give you a pretext earlier before we write a piece on the race for Africa, which really complements somewhat our discussion tonight. You just want to rule the world. We will play that piece. Uh, then we lay about some revolutionary culture, and we'll come in with our political panelists and analysts, and we invite you, the listening audience, to weigh in on the article titled Colonialism 2002, How the U.S. and U.K. Take What They Want for Lesser Powers. That will be our first topic of discussion on the theme today. We invite you to join in at 323-679-0841 when we return. So right now, let's go back down to a memory reign, the race for Africa, followed by some rubbish of music, and we'll come back with our discussion. This is Brother Africa on Africa on the Move. Today we'll talk about Africa, once seen by Europe as the antithesis of civilization, the heart of darkness in the words of a certain Joseph Conrad. Centuries later, Africa remains ignored. It makes news for its conflicts, poverty and exoticism. For the longest time, the world saw it as a lost cause. Then one country saw opportunity and thus began a new race for Africa, not very different from the scramble of the 19th century when colonial Britain and France wanted raw materials, slaves and geopolitical influence. Now, in the 21st century, global powers are in more or less the same race. China, the United States, India, the European Union, Japan, Israel, Canada, all of these countries are in the race for Africa. And one country is emerging as the clear winner. Hello and welcome to Gravitas Plus. I'm Palki Sharma Upadhyay and this is Africa, a continent of 54 sovereign states, 17% of the world's population, 9.6% of the global oil output, 90% of the world's platinum supply, 90% of the world's cobalt supply, half of the world's gold supply, two-thirds of the world's manganese, 35% of the world's uranium, 75% of the world's coltan, and 54 votes in the United Nations General Assembly. This is what makes Africa so attractive and makes the continent a battleground for global powers. There are numerous fronts, investment and infrastructure, military power, diplomacy, soft power, trade, geopolitics, every country has its own interest in Africa. In 2016, Israel began its scramble for the continent. 
Benjamin Netanyahu became the first Israeli Prime Minister to visit Africa in 50 years. What did he want? Votes. In favor of Israel and against Palestine in the United Nations resolutions. Africa and Israel share similar histories, he said. Israel went on to sponsor solar, water and agricultural technologies. In the same year, 2016, Senegal co-sponsored a UN resolution. It condemned the construction of illegal Jewish settlements in the West Bank. What did Israel do? It cancelled the Mashav drip irrigation project. And this is just one example. Here's another one. The European Union has pledged more than $54 billion in sustainable investment for Africa. What does the EU want? Access to the African market of 1.3 billion people. Brussels has negotiated free trade agreements with at least 40 African countries. But does this ensure a balanced two-way trade? It doesn't. And no country has a bigger interest in Africa than China. China is funding one in five infrastructure projects in Africa. It is building every third one. Africa has an infrastructure deficit and China has a signed checkbook. Starting 2005, China has invested at least $2 trillion in Africa. It built 6,200 kilometers of railways, including the continent's longest railway line connecting Ethiopia and Djibouti. Beijing has also built the African Union headquarters in Addis Ababa. What does China get in return? A lot. Geopolitical influence to start with. Beijing is selling its culture, its currency. In Guinea-Bissau, exit signs are written in Mandarin. China has established at least 50 Confucius Institutes across 33 countries. Several African countries use Chinese currency. China also gets a strategic overseas base. In 2017, China built its first overseas base at the Horn of Africa, Djibouti to be specific. Djibouti connects the Mediterranean Sea to the Indian Ocean via the Suez Canal. The base has the capacity to accommodate 10,000 troops. China also gets a market to dump its goods. China is Africa's largest trading partner. Chinese trade has increased 40-fold in the last two decades. At least 10,000 Chinese firms operate in Africa. This is according to a McKinsey study. Africa has resources and China has access. Did you know that a third of China's investments in Africa are in the mining sector? And finally, it gets to debt trap Africa. But here's the thing. China is not the only country investing in this continent. It's not even the biggest. The United States is Africa's largest investor. It accounts for $54 billion of FDI stock. There are 600 American companies operating in South Africa alone. And this even after the US president called Africa this. For the longest time, Africa was nothing but a war zone for Washington. It has over 7,000 troops deployed in the continent. They are spread across some 13 African countries including Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Central African Republic, Chad, Democratic Republic of Congo, Kenya, Libya, Mali, Mauritania, Niger, South Sudan, Somalia, and Tunisia. For the U.S., Africa was a continent for counter-terrorism operations. What happened then? Why is the U.S. suddenly interested in Africa? The answer is this. For the U.S., Africa is now a new front to take on China, and Washington is now fighting it out for power and influence. An article on the U.S. State Department website reads, and I quote, Africa is the continent of the future. Thus, we need to make the most of its potential. By 2050, its population will more than double to 2.2 billion people with over 60% under the age of 25. Where is Africa's interest in all of this? Also, what about India? What role does India play in this continent? New Delhi's ties with Africa date back to the time of Mahatma Gandhi. India was part of the Bandung project, 
1955, New Delhi supported Africa's anti-colonial struggles. It supported the liberalization movements in Ghana, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, Angola, Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau. India also raised the issue of racism in South Africa. It will be unfair to say, though, that India's newfound interest in Africa has nothing to do with China. In 2018, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi toured key African states just ahead of Chinese President Xi Jinping's visit. In 2018, India decided to open 18 new embassies in Africa. India has defence partnerships with Zambia, Nigeria, Ghana, Ethiopia, Botswana, Uganda, Mozambique, and Namibia. New Delhi is currently training African military. Indian company Airtel is a dominant telecom firm in Africa. New Delhi is offering 50,000 scholarships to African students. Despite everything, India is far behind China in the race for Africa. China's Belt and Road Initiative has sealed its hold on Africa. If in the 1900s Africa was colonized with force, in 2020 it is being trapped by loans. China accounts for 14% of sub-Saharan debt. In Kenya, the volume of Chinese loans is six times that of France, which is the country's second largest creditor. And Sri Lanka can tell you what happens when Chinese loans are not repaid. China is looking to capture Africa. It has a strong diaspora. It is spending big money. It is selling its movies, culture, and currency. China extracts raw materials. It manufactures products with them and sells them back to this continent. Does this remind you of something? What did the British do in India? In the 19th century, the rivalry between Britain and France fueled Africa's colonization. In the 21st century, the trade war between the United States and China is hastening the same. Just like the 19th century, there are numerous countries in the scramble for Africa, and just like the 19th century, there is nothing in it for Africa. Gravitas Plus, co-presented by Scope. Michael, eles não ligam para gente.
welcome back to Africa on the Moon. We're now going to our segment. Getting with our topic tonight, the U.S. wants to rule the world. We go to you. We play the piece on the race for Africa. Was it really just a pretext or a continuation around this whole question of Africa, its relationship to the world, and its importance? to the world, and we just want to mind you not necessarily agree with everything that may have been said, but at least focus you in the right direction to understand the importance of Africa and its role that has played in the past and will play in the future, uh, not only to survive of humanity, but definitely survive of African people globally. So keep that in mind as we discuss these particular topics under our theme today. And the first topic is a real interesting article titles Colonialism two thousand Colonialism two point zero How the US and UK take what they want from lesser power. It has a subtext it which reads In the name of sanctions, geopolitical interests, or the so called rules based order. Colonial powers do what they do best, plunder those they see as weak and insubordinate. What a historical accurate statement. We discuss this article and others as we discuss our theme tonight, you guys want to rule the world. As we look at this particular article, we start off with Brother Anthony, Brother Anthony. I mean, uh, it's an interesting article. Because what it does is, I think it speaks not only truth to power, but it speaks historical truth, then and now today, in terms of these colonial powers, in essence, they're no rule of law. They take what they want because they think they have the power to do as they please. Your response to this article, Brother Anthony? Uh, well, currently, they do have the power to do what they please. And uh, and uh, this is a consequence of uh, Africa's failure to achieve Pan-Africanism. And uh, as uh, Nkrumah devoted the last years of, uh, of his life trying to achieve. And uh, as a result... Uh, uh, Af- African Africa, as is presently constituted, cannot stand up to the accumulated economic and military power of uh, capitalist countries like uh, Britain, the U.S., France, Canada, and uh, these other uh, capitalist countries, and. Uh, 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 one thing that people have to keep in mind that uh, that during the 19th century, especially uh, the U.S. and Britain accumulated a great deal of economic and military power, especially um, you know uh, as a result of. Uh, the uh, you know the exploitation and uh, expropriation expropriation of uh, labor and resources 
from Africa, Asia, and South and Central America and the Caribbean. And uh, they did not, uh, and as the power got redistributed during uh, the imperialist wars, World War One and World War Two, but they never went away. They just went. They just got redistributed. And uh, and uh, let's see. And uh, uh, countries are, are are slowly realizing that in order in order to stand up to imperialism, they have to unite. But uh, a- a- Africa's been slow to understand this, especially uh, the political leadership. The current political leadership, I should say, and uh, but slowly the masses are starting to understand that we have to get better organized and unified in order to defeat imperialism. Thank you, brother Anthony. Brother Hackey also in this article was really interesting. Is there was a question a little boy asked his parent his his parent about this whole question of um uh, why the child asked the parent why are there pyramids in Egypt? And he said the parent answered because they were too big to take to Britain. I thought that was sort of hilarious, sort of funny. But it's a lot of truth to that at the same time if they can't take something out physically they definitely get misplaced ideologically by re, by misrepresentation of its history. For many years, they had people believing that Egypt was not even part of Africa. So um, in terms of looking at that narrative and looking at this question of methodology or how the U.S. and U.K. and the West use to take what they want, many times it's kind of in disguise of the concept of humanitarianism or intervention to um, advance some kind of economic interest or strategy. Um, understanding these international violations that they continue to um, take place because they perceive to have the power. What do you bring or take from this article that our audience need to learn from as they read, as you read this article of its importance to understand how the ways the current wall the Africa and African people are facing as it relates to the West? Brother Haki, your analysis on this particular article. Yeah, I, I yeah I think, you know, um, you know, you know, to, to, to actually to answer the broad question in terms of you know why do they do it? Uh, yes, they do it because they can do it, and certainly we have these these international institutions, financial institutions like the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, uh, and so forth, you know, who uh, essentially establish the rules of the game as it relates to commerce and trade. And one of the problems is that, you know, you know, uh, Africa has no say-so in terms of, you know, dissemination, you know, of, 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 of these particular policies. When we talk about power in terms of, you know, the right to vote on these issues, Africa, even though most resources come out of Africa, Africa has no power in terms of these international political bodies, in terms of defining the rules of trade, the terms of that trade, and so forth and so on. So as a consequence, Africa doesn't have any say-so in terms of the setting the price of the commodity. They don't even have a right over terms of establishing the value of their own currency. 
uh, the, in fact, in order to facilitate trade for African states, they have to do it through uh, Western currencies. Uh, and then superimposed upon that is that if they don't have sufficient number of African currency reserves in their accounts, they're further penalized in terms of, you know, uh, rising interest uh, as, it, as it relates to in terms of, uh, you know, trying to conduct business. So clearly Africa is overburrowed. So it's, it's a very difficult situation. And historically, one of the things, you know, when, when Muammar Gaddafi talked about the fact that we have to establish a central bank of Africa, he was on the right track. In fact, that would have made it possible for Africa to establish the value of its commodity, also the value of its currency, which means it could compete in terms of trade. Well, unfortunately, given the level of corruption on the continent, uh, African leaders didn't buy into it. In fact, they saw um, uh, Muammar Gaddafi as somewhat a pariah, and so therefore, you know, they, they brought into Western stereotypes or Western uh, propaganda with respect to, to Muammar Gaddafi, and they turned it back on him to the, to the detriment of the African continent. I think also importantly, Brother Africa, when we talk about in terms of U.S. ability to carry out, you know, uh, these uh, these inane and these ridiculous policies, uh, to uh, to the extent they're they're able to actually uh, uh, under keep marginalized or keep Africa underdeveloped, uh, we have to talk a little bit about in terms of the U.S. the gold standard back in '71, because you keep keep in, remember, back in 1971, Nixon ended the gold standard, and we had the evolution of so-called fiat currency. So what happens was they had currency was currency was no longer beholden. It no longer got its value from gold. Currency uh, of currency was simply whatever the United States said currency is, or the value of that currency was worth whatever the United States said the currency is worth. And then superposed upon that, it mandated that Western central banks actually uh, 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 buy buy this purchase these dollars in terms of you know providing legitimacy for the U.S. dollar. So when you get open, so when you think about all this in terms of you know how the global economic system works, America strategically is, in a, is in, a, in a position where not only is this economy subsidized by other states around the around the world, but its currency is, is the chief reserve currency for the world, which means no business activity takes place without a dollar. And so when you're given that kind of power, when you can arbitrarily just print up money at will without concerns about inflation without concerns in terms of impact on interest rates, without concern about in terms of in terms of uh in terms of um uh balance of trade deficits. You don't have any concern any of those kind of concerns. You can simply arbitrarily just keep printing up money, 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 money. Well when you can do that, you have an immense amount of power. And so you pretty much can do anything you want to do. And so when you have a situation where you have, you know, endless streams of money, then you know, you're right. You can do anything you want to do. Uh when it comes to situations to say if you wanted to simply Bribe African officials or officials around the world, around the world for that matter. It's no problem in terms of printing up the money and saying, "Here, okay, here you go. Here's the money in terms of what we want you to do." It's no problem at all. There's no hardship imposed on the U.S. because they can arbitrarily print money up. And so, and, and certainly, you know, one of the things in terms of you know the Federal Reserve, in terms of in terms of its ability in terms of you know as, as a lender of last resorts, certainly its ability in terms of the you know, impacting or you know defining interest rates plays a large part in terms of in terms of ability in terms of states to actually you know engage in trade. So if if, if for instance if you got a situation in, in Africa where uh, say um, they have let's say the South Africa, Azania, South Africa, they say their their economy is doing well in terms of in terms of trade, right? And they want to slow them down. Well, it's no problem in terms of centuries the the Fed the Fed the Central Reserve Bank, there's no problem in terms of in conjunction with the IMF and the, and the World Bank 
it's no problem in terms of them as arbitrarily impacting the interest rate to make it more expensive for South Africa to actually export its goods across the world, which means that Af- South Africa has to has to hold back on terms of shipping of of its res- of shipping of its, of its products because it simply becomes too ex- too expensive to do so in, in terms of profits. Uh, the amount of profits versus what it takes to ship it becomes kind of becomes kind of productive. So therefore, there's no sense in terms of shipping, you know, all these products if in fact you're not going to be adequately compensated, you know, for the products that you ship abroad. So clearly, we, so we're talking about a global system in place. And, and, and also keep in mind, when we talk about the power of the United States, we also can dismiss the kind of, um, uh, forget about the, the avarice or the greed that's, in, that's pretty much part in terms of the U.S., where the U.S. conduct business. But also think just in terms of the criminality involved in terms of the kind of things the United States does. When you talk about, for instance, we talk about, you know, you know, stealing seven billion dollars, you know, from the Af- Afghan people, seven billion of their own money. The U.S. actually said, no, 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 you're not going to, you're not going to have access to that because we're going to freeze that account. When you talk about that, that kind of criminality, actually, according, according to international law, is grounds for war. And so, U.S. does this kind of enact this kind of criminality throughout the world. In a situation where you talk about in Syria. Where the U.S. actually has been stealing this, stealing this, stealing this oil, and this article talks about the fact that they've stole six to six thousand, they steal six to six thousand barrels of oil per day. So that comes down to eighty-three percent of daily oil production in Syria, eighty-three percent. And so, so when you talk about this, this kind of stealing on the mass, on 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 this on this on this, on this mass level, then it's essentially, essentially, you know, what you're saying is that what the U.S. is doing is engaging in war crimes because these things. According to international law, are basis for going to war, and was and finally, brother Africa, when you talk about you know Russia, when you talk about seizing three hundred billion dollar Russian treasury funds, I mean you know you mean stop and think about it. The reason why the U.S. hasn't the system hasn't collapsed as of yet, in part, is because of investments from countries around the world, in particular countries like China, Russia, and Japan. So when you talk about these Russian investments totaling three billion dollars, three hundred billion dollars, and not having access to those to those investments in U.S. and in, in, in U.S. Treasuries, not having access to that money, uh, it may help the United States. But the same token, you know, it 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 it, 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 it sort of it sort of um, it sort of it sort of makes inevitable uh, the possibility in terms of war because three hundred billion dollars is a lot of money. And so don't think for one second that Russia is not going to forget. You know that you know three hundred billion of these dollars of investments in the United States treasuries are being withheld by the United States government. These are all acts of wars. So when we talk about United States doing what it does, it, you're right. It does what it does because it can. But understanding that this criminal element is part and parcel in terms of this capitalist system. And so once we understand that this criminal element is part and parcel of the capitalist system, then we should be, not be surprised at anything they do uh, on the line the lines of criminality, stealing. Uh, uh, doing those things, which are uh, uh, generally, um, generally, uh, if, if, if we're going to get moral about it, uh, immoral. Uh, so clearly, brother Africa, I, 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 I think that they do what they do simply because they can, and all the systems are in place to ensure uh, that when they do these things, that there are no repercussions. And but my problem is that at some point, you know, uh, nations being pushed to the wall, and that's going to change, and, and they're going, and you're going to inevitably. You're going to have World War III because the United States is going to push the world in that direction, uh, and that is my biggest concern. And I close with that. 
Thank you, Brother Hackey. You, Sister Eleanor, can you continue the discussion from this article, which you now which you got from it, but even the discussion of how the U.S. continues to plunder and take and see of other countries? Hackey, earlier mentioned the issue of um, the sole question of the oil sector out of Syria. They calculated at least $105 billion since the beginning of the war until in the middle of this year has resulted from theft. Yes, theft of that oil. You're talking about $105 billion. You're also talking about anyone this question lost of lives. They have lost over 235 models, 46 injured, 112 kidnapped. Oh, they're going around the world kidnapping people. Not just limited to Venezuela. Um, you're talking about, you know, this old question of Russia and like he alluded to, or $200 billion of treasury funds. What's up with this, this looting and theft and whatever? But after all, his first contact with Africa was they they looted and stole and 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 um, what's the word for enslaved African people, and then came to the West and did the same to the indigenous. Since Illinois, give me your analysis and assessment from this article in terms of this question of U.S. want to rule the world. And how are they going about doing it? What does it say to those who participate in this electoral system? Are they also part of the corporate in terms of these crimes against humanity? What is your position, Sister Eleanor? Um, well, well one, as the article said, one of the, the biggest heists uh, the U.S. has carried out uh, is the uh, is against Russia. The three hundred billion dollars uh, Russian treasury funds, which are uh, deposited here abroad, but also when you hear people like uh, the ambassador to the UN, Thomas Greenfield, telling African countries that if they do more than purchase grain and fertilizer from uh, the Russians that they may be sanctioned while we have people in the, we have EU nations, European nations who are still buying oil from the Russians and will do so through the end of the year. So there is one, a double standard. But these sanctions and these type of sanctions, we're watching the, the, the people of Afghanistan die while we hold their assets. We saw this happen with Iraq uh, at the end of the 20th century. We've seen it happen with Iran. And now we saw President Biden uh, uh, issue sanctions against um, Nicaragua, Venezuela, Cuba, when he had his sanctions against the Soviet Union. These are really uh, thefts against humanity. But as Brother Haiki said, this is only because of the fact that so many rely on the U.S. dollar and that uh, Africa has not a stable currency, and Omar Gaddafi had the right idea, but everyone bought into U.S. propaganda and did not support Gaddafi as he supported other African nations in in, in liberation and in uh, advancing 
themselves economically and politically. Now, we see where the U.S. uh, is stealing 66,000 barrels of oil every day from the fields occupied in the eastern region of Syria. This is happening right now. We see that uh, uh, Venezuela, uh, uh, the U.S. is selling off Cisco, the Venezuelan-owned oil company that Joe Kennedy helped provide heating oil when the Venezuelan people some years ago during the 2008 recession provided heating oil for U.S. Uh, persons who could not afford heating oil in their own homes and communities. And we see that uh, the U.S. is selling off, uh, uh, in the process of selling off the company in in pieces. Uh, it reminds me of the junk bond era, when you would buy a very large company at one price, but then you would sell off its buildings, its, uh, uh, for example, take a, uh, like the giant, a, a, a what was once a locally owned grocery store. Well, when it was purchased by a European company, they sold off the bakery, they sold off certain assets, and they went about union breaking. Well, the U.S., does more than that. Right now, not only is the U.S., but look at the U.K., who has uh, decided to keep $1 billion in gold, which it uh, got, which belongs to the Venezuelan people that was deposited in the Bank of England. So uh, you see the U.S. and Great Britain, because of the British pound sterling and uh, uh, its value, its stability, and the U.S. dollar uh, um, literally victimizing people at will. Um, and uh, you saw in this article where Alex Saab uh for trying to obtain food and medicine for the Venezuelan people uh, was denied such amenities by U.S. sanctions. Saab was captured at the uh, behest of the U.S. in in uh, Corte Verde in 2020, and as he was flying to Iran to negotiate a deal for humanitarian supplies, including medicine, uh, and uh, the uh, things needed to confront the coronavirus pandemic. Now, here he is on this mission. He was employed to perform this on behalf of the Venezuelan people, and now he's languishing in a jail in in Miami despite the lack of uh, extradition treaty between the U.S. and uh, uh, Cabo Verde, and he uh, continues as we speak to sit and languish. um, now, what's happening with the wheels of justice? Uh, that this has this issue has not been resolved, and this man has not been released. So the U.S. Uh, c- 
continues. We've seen it with Iraq. We've seen it with Iran. We've seen it with Syria. We see it with Venezuela. And, of course, the embargo, it has sustained for nearly over 50 years with Cuba. So uh, this is colonialism in the 20th century. It, it is where you put your money, you can leave you at risk. And we definitely see this with uh, what has happened with Russia, especially with what many around the world believe is a uh, a war between the U.S. and Russia, a proxy war between U.S. and Russia. And as we read this article where, as you said, the loss of life, uh, the, it, the you know, 235 martyrs and 112 missing or kidnapped, uh, as we look at this, we see that the Ukraine has just bombed another uh, Black Sea Russian naval site. So uh, we see the destruction of colonialism, we see misinformation, and we see the power of the dollar and the British pound sterling. And unfortunately for Venezuela and other countries, including uh, uh, Russia and uh, Iraq and others, they place their dollar, their monies in the U.S. where the U.S. seizes them will. And uh, as I said, um, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. has threatened African nations in what type of business they will be allowed to do with Russia. So um, I think uh, Brother Anthony and uh, Brother Haiki covered it well. And uh, in short, the the article, the way you started it with the the way the article started, where the child was asking, why are the pyramids in Africa? And it talked about how Lenin, while he was in exile, would uh, take his friends to uh, the museums while he was in exile in London, and he would enjoy taking them to the British Museum and explaining to them how and from what lands, all the antiquities there were stolen. So plundering has been a long-term practice. Right now, the Afghani people are starving because we are holding their $7 billion and refusing to support the people of Afghanistan by allowing them to eat and have heat. We see where a commercial 747 airline was being seized by the U.S. Venezuelan airline. So there is so much going on. And uh, uh, this is uh, colonial habit to die hard. Uh, that's from the article. And the article definitely illustrates that colonial habits die hard. And the U.S. is always ready to turn to 
the tried and true tradition of plundering, whether to dig itself out of one of the worst economic crises in years or to coerce other nations to serve its own geopolitical interests. The fact that the U.S. is allowed to get away with this demonstrates that in Washington, or Washington imposes its rule-based order, rules of law, is nothing but a tool of employment by the mighty to keep the weak down and to keep the disenfranchised down. The sooner Africa forms a common currency similar to the what Europe has, the better off Africa will be to stand up against the U.S. and other superpowers such as the United Kingdom. Thank you, Brother Africa. Brother Moses, Brother Moses, the article says, Colonialism 2.0, how the U.S. and U.K. take what they want from lesser power. Many people say in today's world, U.S. is a major pirate, a major pirate or piracy is the U.S. international foreign policy. What would you say to that statement, and what do you bring or take from this particular article from your perspective, Brother Moses? Yeah, this uh, article is on point. Uh, um, the U.S. and Great Britain uh, historically have been nothing but but the vultures and uh, thieves, and uh, no respect for the self determination of of the people of the world, and uh, imposing this will and its interest on on the people of the world. Uh, I think that was appropriate. That that the pyramids are in 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 Egypt because they they couldn't carry them to Europe. Uh, that's that says it all right there. Uh, uh, I think Anthony summed it up when during the 19th century the 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 looting that was going on and uh, and uh, it's continued in in other forms through the 20th century, 21st century. Uh, I- I um, I'm gonna leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, brother Moses, brother Anthony, and then brother Haki. I'd like to hear y'all response to this scenario. You know, really, uh, when you look at the history of the U.S., this is what it means to be American: plundering, stealing, taking. It's not rewriting history, but it's recording history for what it is. Your response, Brother Anthony. Okay. Um, well, you know, I, I think it's a sign of the fact that uh, that uh, because Africa is oppressed, Africans around the world aren't respected. 
I think that I, 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 and and I think uh, you know an, a, a careful analysis of world history shown that that because Africa's oppressed, Africans around the world are respected, and are you are, and I are merely used as tools of uh, capitalist forces. And, uh, you know, and the thing about it, though, the fact that uh, that uh, it, capitalism can use African faces to tell African countries who they cannot trade uh, or do business with is a testament to our to, to how powerless we actually are inside the U.S., no other ethnic group, uh, you know, is, uh, is is subject to that kind of disrespect. And uh, you know, and I think uh, you you uh, you know the fact that uh, uh, that uh, that Africans, uh, you know, that look like uh, you know that look like uh, you know uh, African people can go around. Uh, peddling our, uh, pushing our enemies' interests, uh, you know, it's a testament to how powerless we are. And uh, and that's because of our disorganization and also a lack of, uh, you know, what goes on around the world. Uh, I mean, because we're disunited, we don't see the connection uh, a lot of times between what goes on, what happens in Africa and other parts of the diaspora, and what's happening to us here. And uh, we have to correct that. And, uh, you know, that can only be done through permanent organization. And, uh, you know, having uh, an African currency is great. But that's not going to be possible until we achieve uh, political unification, as Nkrumah pointed out correctly many years ago. Brother Hackey, are we complicit? When I say we, I'm talking about these African politicians, the Africans who perceive themselves as part of the so-called political machinery of America, and these Africans who view themselves as America, are we compl- how much complicit responsibilities do we, f- we we bear? Those who live inside the border of the United States and those who live outside who are complicit with U.S. policy to allow this kind of looting still to take place. Your response? Well, yeah. Well, Brother Africa, we, there's, there's no question about that. We are, we are complicit. I mean, there's, there's no getting around that. Anytime, uh, you know, you have oppression of a people that exists across the board, whether we talk about social, political, economically, we talk about a, a people uh, who are uh, who are um, who are uh, uh, subject of uh, oppression across the board. Uh, so when we talk about that kind of oppression, it's clearly that uh, it's, it's not like we can't see the oppression, uh, particularly when we talk about people, you know, political leaders. They understand precisely the the, the 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 conditions of the oppression that the people face, 
but the problem is that one of the things is that you know we 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 we, we can't talk talk about complicity without talking about the 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 the, the, the level of self hatred or the level of um, uh, uh, or, or or the level of um, ignorance uh, affiliated you know with uh, with such a position. Uh, one of the things when you talk about political political individuals who who are who engage and support a system which is damaged opposed to the interests of African people. Such people position is that somehow that they are part of this. Now, in order to be part of America as a person, as, a, as an African person, to be part of America, is to deny the history of America. That's number one. You have to deny the history of America. Secondly, you have to be able to, in your in your mind, justify the suffering of African people based upon class standing. So, in other words, if your position is that you're making a few pennies, that the oppression that other African people face is a result of their own in, in, inadequacies. Uh, then you feel better about yourself, but it undergirds the sort of uh, poor self self esteem that exists in terms of African people. Because one of the things, as an African person, particularly in the context of American society, where we're all conditioned to think about in terms of ethnicity first, because of the way capitalism works. When you sit there and you live under such a system, and somehow where other groups are saying we're well, ethnicity first, but African people are saying that no, 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 my class interest comes first. There's something fundamental wrong with that. So that class interest can only manifest itself to the extent that the self-esteem, the poor self-esteem, the self-image in the minds of such individuals is so is, is, is so is so is so much a part in terms of the way they think that that their actions are very very clear in terms of you know this 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 is a negative thinking in terms of what it is to be an African person. So I so I think that you know yes uh, I think so sort of complicity yes no question about that. Also, you know, one of the things is, you know, the same can be said in terms of outside of Africa, I mean, you know, outside of America. When you talk about Africans, you know, in Africa, and certainly, you know, um, you had a situation where, where those Africans who, who perception is that somehow that this Western way of thinking of things is the only way to think of things speaks to a kind of, a, a kind of general ignorance that exists in the minds of so many Africans on the continent. Because if you sit there and you if you do anything about African history in terms of the origin of you know the origin of political systems, the origin of thought, the origin of the origin of uh, 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 origin of, uh, of social settings um, in terms of you know communal c- communal settings, if you understand the history of Africa, then you understand that there are ample examples in terms of this example in terms of communal living and the benefits of communal living. If you want to get metaphysical about it, you can even talk about in terms of when you talk about the origin in terms of the human psychic, uh, in terms of the the, the, the the human consciousness. All those discussions, all of those disciplines take place in Africa tens of thousands of years ago. So they're not so so for so for fraud and uh and, 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 and individuals like him to formulate ideas, these ideas are not new. These ideas have existed for tens of thousands of years. But unfortunately, African people on the continent don't understand that because of the long history of colonialism on the, on the continent. And unfortunately, when you when you go to the continent, you're going to run into Africans who are really confused in terms of their identity. I remember having one discussion with a young lady. We were talking about, um, she said she had a Christian name. I said, you do? I said, what is your name? She said, my name is Mary. I said, Mary? I said, That's not a Christian name. That's a European name. She said, she said no, it's a Christian name. I said, no, 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 it was a Christian name. You have an Ethiopian name. You got an Ethiopian name? She said, what? Ethiopian name? But I ain't got no Ethiopian name. I said, well, you say you got a Christian name. You don't know the origin of Christianity? You think it come out of the West? Is that what you think? 
and she was quite upset with the fact that, you know, she really was convinced that Christianity is a Western convention. She really thought that. And so we trying to explain to her, no, no, Christianity comes out of Ethiopia. You're only, you're only 800 miles away from Addis Ababa or Axum. You know, you're, you're not far from these places. You know, you should be aware of this history as a Christian. She didn't. So, the, so, the, so, the, so, the, so when we talk about complicity, then we got to understand that it's always a function of ignorance. That's so getting around that. For any, for any African, whether they're in America or outside of America, who says that you can acquiesce or that you can participate in a system that's, 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 that's fundamentally uh, uh, pushes the, the, uh, the disempowerment of your community, there's something fundamentally wrong for someone to, to, to accept a system which is, which is diametrically opposed to their to survival. You have children. You have grandchildren. You have aunts. I mean, you have nieces, nephews. You have all these people who are intimately tied to you. For you to endorse a system which is fundamentally, fundamentally designed to disempower them, to, fund, to, disen, to, 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 to fundamentally you know, under, under, undermine their human interest, then for you to do such a thing, then there has to be some type of uh, deficit in terms of how you think and, and of the world. Even now, if you if you say one who supports the system because you think it's the best system in the world, well, if you if if in fact one of the things that that you would do, if in fact if you believe that, you would never let anybody know that you believe that, because to acknowledge that you support this system is to say that there's something fundamentally wrong with you. Tim Scott is a damn fool. And I, I can't put it the other way. This guy's a damn fool. But at least I realize that he's smart enough to realize that, you know, there is some opportunism, go, opportunism, opportunism going on there. He understands that certain issues he will not respond to. On. When it comes to systematic uh, disenfranchisement or systematic oppression of African people, he won't touch it. Because, you know, if, if he touch it, it would expose his opportunism. So at least on that level, he, under, he understands that he's not free to freely articulate what he feels, what he, what he sees. So his endorsement of the system may be simply because he's opportunistic. He said, well, listen, this money is more important than anything else in the world. I'm, I'm on my big house, my big cars, my bank account. I don't care about anything else. And if that's his position, then certainly that's understandable from a class perspective. You know? But even from a class perspective, it cannot negate. The reality is that you're participating in the system encourages indeed strengthens a system which is diametrically opposed to the interests of people who look like you. There's no way where you can see that's see that's a problem I have when people say come away, it's all about class. No, it's not it's no it's much human 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 consciousness is much more complex than class. For simply as sum up where it's all class and that's all we need to know and we're all fine. That's bull. That's bull. No human being is strictly motivated by class. And so when we talk about self-interest and we talk about self-perception, all of that stuff plays a part in terms of how people behave, the positions that they take, or, 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 the, or the positions that they support. And so for any African person who supports this system, which is fundamentally in opposition to their existence, and they support a system nonetheless, then you're not going to tell me that in, in terms of consciousness that something fundamentally skewed in terms of an individual who accepts a system which is predicated on your destruction. Why the hell would I support anything that predicated on my destruction? Why would I be proud of being American when this system says that, listen, give me the fact that based upon your skin color, it's going to determine your, uh, your, your ability to get a job, your ability to rise at that job, uh, your ability to get a house, uh, where that house is going to be located, 
uh, your ability in, your, your in terms of being feel protected in the community, uh, when, particularly when we talk about police brutality, these kind of things. So why the hell would I sit down and, and say, hey, I'm proud of being, you know, somehow perceived as somehow less than human beings based upon my skin color, and I'm going to endorse that? See, class don't explain you know, that. See, class don't explain that. Okay, well, you know, I, I close with that, Brother Africa. And panelists, what we're going to do is move to the second article real quickly, and I'd like to have y'all final points and thoughts on this article for tonight. And some of y'all have already raised the issue around this particular article. Well, listen, audience, if you get a chance, there was an article out of RT News, dated August the 15th, 2022, and the article is titled... Democrats are using black faces to bully Africa. To to bully Africa, U.S. threatened Africa with sanctions if it's by anything except gray and fertilizer from Russia. It's a really interesting article because you know that is an article related to a theme that U.S. want to rule the world, but I think it does more clearly as well. It show you the power relationship between those who rule this question of race and racism, this question of power and, and powerlessness, and this question of slave owners versus the so-called enslavers. When we look at this article, fundamentally speaking, panelists, I'd like each one of y'all to speak to it from your own understanding perception. Uh, this article, really the article, talk about or deal with the slave-master-slave relationship. And I say this because what gives America the right, the assumption, and the means to think they can dictate to any African country what trade relationships they should have with anybody? And how in the hell to yourself such an idea, philosophy, that means, again, to me it's a reflection of how they view Africa and African people at home and abroad. This is why I have real serious problems with Africans who participate in these political institutions and see themselves as being uh, Americans because clearly this policy, this behavior, it says so much. i let you silence off, Sister Elamore, your perspective from what I've just articulated, Sister Eleanor. Well, um, and it appears that uh, Africa right now, and we have talked about it previously, has an opportunity to stand up and to reject U.S. dictates, uh, especially with the energy crises going on created by the sanctions, uh, the Biden sanctions. However, now uh, we're using... Uh, 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 as a, a black face, as Brother Haki said, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, uh, she was in Accra, Ghana, on Friday, and uh, she uh, was talking, uh, warned African countries not uh, not to purchase anything from Russia besides, as you said, Brother Africa, grain and fertilizer, or else they could face sanctions. 
Now, um, this type of bullying is uh, is another form of col- colonialism. And uh, during a, a, her visit Ganda, uh, the country which buys uh, Russian agricultural products, including fertilizer and wheat, but added that it uh, is a country if uh, a country decided again to engage with Russia where there are uh, sanctions, they they are breaking uh, those sanctions. Now, we caution, uh, she says, she I quote, she says, we caution countries not to break those sanctions because then they stand the chance of having action taken against them. Uh, she further added that... Uh, Purchasing Russian oil um, risk sanctions, even though many of of, uh, the U.S. European allies are still buying Russian crude before a ban takes effect at the end of uh, 2022. So here's another uh, uh, example of U.S. bullying and using a black face to do it. And she uh, was uh, there just ahead of the visit by the Secretary of State, uh, Anthony Blinken. Now, the U.S. has been vying for more influence in Africa as China and Russia are expanding its ties as well as India. And this is certainly not the way to do it, this bullying uh, it, uh, it, it demonstrates the U.S. approach of using force to get uh, the result that it wants, which has been uh, backfiring on, on Washington lately. We look at the Afghan war, and uh, it's pushing countries closer to others, such as China, India, and Russia. And this is... Uh, uh, this bullying and this uh, neo-colonialist mentality just is not working. Brother Anthony, your response. In effect, um, ne- uh, neo-colonialism uh causes people that look uh that look like us to work against our interests and uh this is a case of that when you use uh someone who uh who, who has an uh a, a, an african face uh to enforce uh imperialist policy and uh, you know, and uh, the and the only way Africa can stand up to this bullying is through un- political, is through Pan Africanism, political unification under scientific socialism. That is the uh, the ultimate solution. Anything else falls short. Even uh, you know uh, having uh, a- Africa having its own currency will not be sufficient unless it achieves political unification. 
And uh, we've got to control the education of our people. Otherwise, uh, 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 otherwise, these manifestations of New York colonialism will continue. So uh, we have to get organized, and we have to educate ourselves. We cannot leave it up to uh, uh, mysteries, uh, 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 European interests to educate our youth. We've got to do it ourselves. Brother Moses, I don't understand how anyone or any African nation or people can see themselves as an ally to the U.S. When you look at this article, it really view African people as little children and capable of governing, governing and making decisions for themselves. Your response, Moses, your response. Yes, well, the, the, the world's people are in a political economy, uh, and uh, it's, it's grown through dialectical and historical materialism throughout history. And so we, the history of the, of the various parts of the planet uh, is, is, is being documented. Uh, in the U.S., you know, we were, we, we were brought here and, uh, and this, since we, we've been here historically what, 400 years now, or, or depending on who you talk to. Um, so we have roots here, whether we like it or not. Uh, uh, that's my position now. I'm, I'm like Dr. Martin Luther King on this question. Of, of we belong, we, we, we have self-determination. We have to determine for ourselves who we are and where we belong and how, what our roots are. Um, my name is Robert Andrew Moses. I was named after Robert Nathaniel Moses, who named the first Greenfair Moses. Uh, my brother's Greenfair Moses the third. Greenfair is a prayer. Green, F-A-I-R. Uh, in the Bible, it says Jesus said, "If they do this in a green tree, what should be done in the dry?" And so, it's a prayer for fair play for our people. And uh, and you know we. We we have to determine. We have to have self determination, uh, up to and include independence. And and this is this is my my understanding of Marxism and dialectic historical materialism. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses and Brother Hackey. Your final thoughts for today's program on this theme. You guys want to read the world in this article, Brother Hackey. It seems to me that U.S. still viewing Africa, African people as their property and incapable of governing and thinking for themselves. Your response? Well, Brother Africa, I think that's that's axiomatic. I think very clearly when you look at interactions or relationship between um, Africa and the U.S., that's very, very clear. I think that the president... Uh, of um, of South, uh, South Africa, Ramaphosa was very very clear on that point in terms of the the kind of um, uh, the uh, the kind of uh, yeah, this, this, this propensity to talk to Africans like they like their child, like their children. I think he's very clear on that point. So I think there's no question about that. 
uh, you know, to the extent, Brother Africa, that we acquiesce, that we continue to play ball by by rules which are designed, uh, you know, to negatively impact us. To the extent that we keep playing ball by the, by those rules, then the reality is that those people who uh, who innovate those rules are not going to respect you. If you don't have enough gumption or enough insight to see uh, that these rules are uh, uh, disadvantageous you know, to your existence, if you can't see that, uh, then it's not up to the oppressor to see that. It's up to the people who are oppressed to see that. And so at some point we have to realize that's just the nature of the beast. And you don't have to get along with everybody in terms of, in, in terms of ideology or in terms of ideas. You don't have to get along with everybody. But, then one, but one thing certainly we have to agree upon, that we should have to agree that we have a fundamental right in terms of being self-determined, that we should have that right as a people. And so, so that should be no argument. I don't care how we get there, whether we're talking about socialism, uh, Marxism, uh, 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 Pan-Africanism, uh, 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 you know, uh, in Kumu, whatever, whatever, whatever ideology you use in terms of getting here, it really doesn't matter to me. I'm just more concerned in terms of end result. And so, if we can agree on that fundamental point, you know, that uh, you know we have the right to be self-determined. Then we, then you know what? Then then there's, there's certainly room to work with folks in terms of you know trying to achieve that end. But the problem is that people are not at that point. They're willing to acquiesce. And to a large extent, you know, in order to buy into this and buy into your own oppression, you got to you got to perceive yourself as somehow lucky to be here. And of course, when you look at the history as it's taught in America, one of the things, or in the Western world, one of the things that we're often told that we're lucky to be here, given the conditions in Africa, and blah 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 blah. You know, we're fortunate to be here. And of course, a lot of us have internalized this notion that we're lucky to be here, you know, because we don't understand. And so, so when we look at social political, you know, when we look at social political, you know, information, or we when we observe social political phenomenon, often we can't discern or understand, you know, exactly, you know, you know what what these behaviors entail. So we have a superficial understanding in terms of people's interaction with these systems, in terms of you know how they make people think, how they make people act, and so forth and so on. So clearly, uh, we first and foremost have to understand, you know, that as a people, we have a right to be self-determined. That is a that is a given, uh, regardless of your ideology. That is a given. You have to believe that the African people have a right to be self-determined. Once we believe we have a right to be self-determined, then we got to act that way. In order to act that way, we, then we got to roll up our sleeves and go to work. And that's just the bottom line. And if we're sincere, we have to understand that the youth are the future. If we don't do anything in terms of innovating. Uh, uh, institutions, or you know, or cultural expressions in the community, which is geared toward the empowerment of our children, then we should not be surprised when our children succumb, you know, to the to to the propaganda perpetuated by the system, uh, 365 days a year, uh, 365 days a year. Uh, so having said that, Brother Africa, you know, uh, you know, my final statement is simply, you know, just encourage people, you know, you know, to unravel the matrix and, you know, just uh, be prepared in terms of the inevitable. Uh, one thing is clear, you know, as the system deconstructs, um, there must be an enemy. There must be, there's always a search for an enemy. So one of the things John Stockwell talked about, the former CIA agent, he talked about in search of an enemy. In order for capitalism to persevere, it has to have an enemy. And as it deteriorates, the enemy becomes even much more important. I think in the context of America, uh, we understand that, that um, you know, uh, 
gay people, uh, Jewish people, um, um, uh, women to a large extent. Uh, we understand that they are too uh, perceived as you know the uh, the uh, as, as, as 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 undesirables in, as far as the state is concerned. But having said that, I think one thing we have to understand that without a shadow of doubt, when we talk about it in terms of you know the preferred enemy, there's no question about it. African people are the preferred enemy in terms of you know, um, you know, in terms of not only um, uh, exp- expressing discontent toward African people, but also actively, you know, um, fighting with, with the ultimate aim of destroying African people. So that's not hyperbole. It's no exaggeration. That is that is history. That is the way things go. And so clearly, we got our work cut out for us. And I encourage people to, you know, you know, start that process. Start, you know, start talking to people. You know, talk about the importance of institutions, building because the inevitable is, is not a pretty picture. And clearly, uh, when we understand history, we understand no human being is immune from the flow of history, and that includes conservative black folks as well. And I close that, Brother Africa. And on that note, you're listening to Africa on Move. I'm Brother Africa. I love you on the weather. Apologize to y'all, but we're doing the best we can. We're going to take a rubbish to your cultural break, and when we come back, we're going to give you our final thoughts. But before we go on that break, we will remind everyone, for those who have an interest or going on the Freedom Ride to Cuba, that particular reality has been rearranged for January 23rd to the 30th. So make sure you contact the African Awareness Association at African Awareness Association 2 at gmail.com. So again, be January 23rd to the 30th. 2023 coming up, so get on board. Also, we received some positive news and response um, yesterday from a group out of Richmond, Virginia, the Fort Dorf, Elect by Fort Dorf Society. They had a wonderful damn home family reunion. They did a beautiful job of culturally connecting with Africa and connecting African people globally. We, might, we would like to give them a shout and praise under the direction of Sister Imani and Janine Bell. That's the Labor Fort Lord Society of Richmond, Virginia. So we're going to go on this particular cultural break, and when we come back, we would like to close out this first part of a two-part series, U.S. Want to Rule the World. This is Brother Africa and Africa on the Move. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by the news, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. 
must prepare and learn how to care For soon we'll be there where our lives won't be in danger And when the light is clear Oh, how beautiful I will be To know that I've been here And made it through my journey and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Hellerino, a bloodline across the waters, from Benin to Salvador Bahia, a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun, pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. Light is clear. Oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah.
leadership of Imani and Janine Bell. So right now, what we're going to do right now, we're going to have our final thoughts for tonight. We're going to close out on part one of a two-part series. Yes, want to rule the world. And we'll start with Brother Moses with his final thoughts for tonight. Brother Moses, your thoughts. The mic is yours. Yes, the U.S. wants to dominate the world. The power to define is the power to rule. And the U.S. wants to make all the rules and regulations uh, to police the world and uh, enforce its rules. Um, that's imperialism. That's what imperialism is all about. And so we we here in the heart of the beast have to have self determination. We have to we have to not let the oppressor dictate to us what our freedom is and what we can and can't do. The oppressor is is the enemy and uh, has, doesn't have our interests at heart. And so we cannot look to the oppressor to determine what we're gonna the, what our self determination. We have to have independent of thought and action. Um, organize, organize, organize. That's that's the name of the game, grassroots organization. We need to to to, re, to get people who 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 are not conscious to make them conscious and that's the task we face with the just struggles of the people naturally support each other. That's why I'm for scientific socialism and and definitely for Pan Africanism. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution to today's program. We now go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, your final thoughts for tonight. Well, definitely the U.S. and uh, now its allies, uh, the U.K. and the E.U., their goal is to rule the world. The U.S. believes in rule-based order. But these are orders, these rule-based orders not codified anywhere. We've seen, the U.S. seems to arbitrarily inflict them on people, both domestically as well as internationally. Uh, Our lack of privacy as uh, citizens of the U.S., the government, it has invaded our privacy, as we see with uh, telecommunication and as we see uh, with uh, sanctions against the Russia, uh, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Cuba, uh, and the threat of further sanctions against Africa as we expand NATO. We see this as a threat uh, against the planet Earth. Uh, it is a threat against democracy and freedom. So, again, it is important that we organize, and I am a supporter of a revolution that changes the way we operate and that the people take over and determine what happens and control their means of production what rather than the one percent so uh with that in mind uh, brother africa i just like to say that we saw with the uh, war in the ukraine 
some things happened in Africa. The cost of food went up exponentially and uh, other problems of this sort. And certainly African nations should be free to purchase oil as the EU uh, is and other nations are and have always purchased their fuel from the Soviet Union. But as long as we have this rule-based order, the rule of law is nothing but uh, a tool uh, employed by the mighty once again to keep the weak down. So with that in mind, I'd like to say uh, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you to the fellow analysts and to our listening audience this evening. And I stand in solidarity with the people of Yemen, the people of the Congo, the people of Afghanistan, the people of Palestine, and all oppressed people. And uh, in terms of the weaponry that the U.S. is providing to the Ukraine, I think we should stop. This is not our conflict, and we should not be engaged in it. Thank you, and good evening. Good evening to you, and thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for the first part of the two-part series. You guys want to move the world. My final, final thoughts thought for, for tonight. Yes, my final thought for tonight is that we must uh, form our own independent political organizations. And we cannot depend upon the Democratic and Republican duopoly uh, to solve our problems. Uh, it only, uh, it only, uh, you, you know, keep us going down, uh, uh, going around in an endless circle. And the solution to our problems are pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. You can find out more about uh, this objective by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-vc.org. Thank you for having me, and uh, get well soon, brother. Thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contribution to today's program, all our panelists and analysts, and of course, to our listening audience, we often been asked how can you support Africa on the move under the direction of the African Awareness Association. We now have a direct source that we are convenient that if you want to make a donation or share your love with the station and our work that we are doing, please cash up us at dollar sign capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small p. Dollar sign capital L E E C R O P. You can support the work and ongoing work of African Awareness Association, Africa on the Move Radio. We thank you. Also, we'd like to remind you again for those who are interested in traveling to Cuba on the Freedom Ride with the African Awareness Association, please contact them at their email, African Awareness Association 2 at Gmail. And the trip has been rescheduled from January 23rd to the 30th. And from my understanding, part of the trip will be part of the Havana Jazz Festival. Be a part of that 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 
activity. So those activities that will be included in this particular upcoming tool. So until next time, we see you next week for part two. You guys want to go to the world. And if you have any questions or comments, contact us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. Until next time, let's subscribe to go forward with Apple, back with Neville, and join the organization that's doing something to help advance and alleviate the suffering of African people, Africa, and humanity. Until next time, we leave you with the song of Children of Africa. This has been Brother Africa on Africa on the Bull.
If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. 
People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries. Their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine. Needs, our needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs her freedom, Palestine, Palestine needs our love.
This has been Africa on the Move. Thank you for your support.